So we're on a path, and you can see that on the screen, and I don't want you to to forget that the path is meant to take us somewhere. Of course, we're beginning on the left side, and we move to the right. Our mission, our goal, the end of the path, the objective is to touch all people with God's message. It's meant to be walked with others towards that goal. And now we've taken that long path and that very lofty goal, that mission for why we exist, and broken it down into a journey or paths or steps that we can take as we walk with others along. And these steps help us understand God's message at the end in these very easy-to-remember words, the simple conversation that we can have, and the language through which this message is to be shared. It's not just about the words. It's about the message, I mean, the language that helps us communicate that message, the bigger concepts behind them, like love, in which God in his love, would come to you if he would speak to you in person and say, I love you. And he simply wants a like response. He wants you to do the same thing. He wants you to look back at him and say, you love me? Wow. I love you too. He wants a return on his investment in love. That's the first step. But then there's also this concept of forgiveness in which he says, I have taken the first step to make things right. He wants us to accept that forgiveness that only he could give through the work of his son on the cross for us. And now we've arrived at purpose. He says, I love you. I want, uh, I've taken the first step to make things right. And now I want you to help me change the world. That's about purpose. And we went to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 where he says, once again, we have been saved by grace. That's love. And we have been saved by grace through faith. That's his forgiveness. And then he goes on to say, for, in verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's purpose. That's meaning. That's why we exist, so that we can join together with him in changing this world. He wants us to partner with him in bringing this good message to the rest of the world. Now, we as a church are committed to that. We have a history of doing this. We invest in ourselves as a ministry because our ministries are touching people with God's message, but we also invest beyond ourselves to empower other people to do that same thing in other places. And we must always consider how and how well we are accomplishing our mission. Are we going the right direction to get to that goal? And that's why we're suggesting another look at one aspect of how we can fulfill that purpose, that joining with him to change this world. The problem is close to the heart of God. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 1 last week, the fatherless. And the issue we can address to help meet that need is the biblical mandate to care for the orphan. But this week I wanted to ask the question, how connected are we? to this issue, and should we be, actually, to this issue? And the answer to that is really what I'm calling the orphan solution. And by that, I don't mean simply addressing the social issue of the orphan. I mean that God has solved the spiritual problem of us being fatherless through the earthly problem of the orphan. And I want you to see that this morning. I'm using two scriptures to anchor 
these purpose messages. Isaiah chapter 1, where we saw God's heart for the spiritually fatherless. He says, I reared children, and they rebelled. They went away from me, and they became spiritually fatherless. Then when he gets to the solution, he says to these children, learn to do what's right. Take up the cause of the orphan. Plead the case of the widow. Address the need of the oppressed. Then I will settle the matter with you. I will bring cleansing. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Through the issue of the earthly and socially fatherless, he sees a means for drawing these orphans back to himself as his spiritual father. But he doesn't stop there. He continues through Scripture until we get to the end of the story, to the other anchor passage, James chapter 1. Now, let me just sum up the progression uh, through Scripture this way. First of all, in Isaiah chapter 1, what I call the orphan problem. It's really the entire Old Testament, really. And I'm, so that you can kind of remembering it, remember it, and because, as you know, I just love doing this, Psalms, Proverbs, and Prophets. I want you to see what this heart is that he expresses in the Old Testament through the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the prophets. In Proverbs, he says, now listen, how how much, how concerned, and how passionate he is about this issue. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, he who despises his neighbor's sins, he who despises his neighbor's sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs chapter 15, the Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. By the way, in your bulletin is a little slip of paper with all of these references there. I know they're not on the screen. They're there. You can take them home. You can look at them. Proverbs 19, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he's done. Psalm. Psalm 68. This is actually our theme verse for Harvest Home, and you're going to get a letter in the mail, and I want you to look at that. This is said in the context of David's life near the end of his life. He's an old, wise man by this point. He's seen justice and injustice, right and wrong. He's the one who was called a man after God's own heart, and at the end of his life, he says this, sing to God, sing praise to his name, name, extol him who rides on the clouds, his name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. In God's holy dwelling, God sets the lonely in families. Psalm 94, also at the end of David's reign, there's a cry for justice. He says, oh Lord, the God who avenges. Oh God who avenges, shine forth, rise up and judge the earth. Pay back the proud for what they deserve. How long will the wicked, oh Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They crush your people, oh Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see and the God of Jacob pays no heed. And we see the prophets. We've already seen Isaiah and what he has to say, but he hasn't done yet because in chapter 10, he goes on to say, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who oppress, who make oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights without and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows of their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning? Jeremiah, his counterpart, goes on to say the same kind of thing. They have become, (laughs) these are 
frightening words for America today. They have become rich and powerful, and they have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit, and they do not plead the cause, the case of the fatherless to win it, and they do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I not punish a nation like this? He goes on in chapter 7, connecting this issue to faithfulness and obedience to God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust deceptive words. Do not say, and I paraphrase here, it says, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. That's like saying, I go to church, I go to church, I go to church, I'm good, right? If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood, then I will let you live in this place. Zechariah, another prophet. This is what the Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the alien, or the poor. This really matters to God. And I've only taken a selection of these verses out of the Old Testament. This is a big issue for God. He says it over and over. Now, as I said... The point here is to see that this is more than just a major concern on the heart of God. Watch what he does to solve the problem. Now we have to go to the end of the story in the New Testament to James chapter 1 in what I call the orphan solution. And to help you remember it, here we go. James, Jesus, and justice. Specifically, James, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. I want to read those verses. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a, someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now listen to me. As God unfolds his plan and gets all the way over to James, the reality of the earthly orphan issue is more than just a way to draw people back to their heavenly father. It proves to be the very means that God uses to solve the problem. Let me explain it to you. Who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. If you weren't aware of this, the Virgin Mary was conceived and had a child. That was Jesus. After he was born, she married her betrothed husband, Joseph, and they had other children. And I can take you to passages and show you that. He had half-brothers and sisters, a number of them. Now, Can you imagine being raised in the same home of the only perfect person to ever live a whole life on this earth? Imagine your perfect older brother, literally, 
Now, we all think of the bad sides of that, but think about this. He is arguably the best person to ask what it means to live the Christian life. Correct? Who else saw it, lived out that way? Well, actually, his other half-brother, Jude, who wrote that letter too, but he's one of them. He saw it lived out in front of him for 30 years. And what does he say? Don't just merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Now, I know a lot of us don't like the word religion because we've been turned off by what that happens to mean to us. But that word, too, James, means what you hear, you do. Because that's exactly what he saw lived out his entire life. An older brother who listened to his father and did exactly what he told him to do. Don't just merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Religion that God the Father. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about this issue of the orphan. And James actually says and refers to God as his father. That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted from the world. He would know what pure and faultless was. He saw it every day for 30 years. That's James. Now consider Jesus, what he became. It's very likely that part of that life that he lived, Jesus, he lived as a single orphan. You following me? Joseph disappears from the scene sometime after Jesus is 12 years old. And we don't see him again. Jesus did not enter into ministry until he was 30 years old. In the intervening time, he was the eldest child of Mary, caring for the needs of his widowed mother. And he was being what he needed to be to the rest of the family, his half-brothers and sisters. Get this, God chose to have his one and only son be incarnated as a man and live part of his human earthly life as an orphan. He would now be known as an orphan. Why would God do that? Because of justice. Could this have been in preparation for what it would mean for him to become a spiritual orphan on the cross? It was. Because on that cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment of time, he became a spiritual orphan. Separated from his father in order that you and I might be drawn into that fatherhood. And would this not, this earthly orphanness, richly represent another perspective on our understanding, being spiritual orphans who were adopted through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Yes. Romans chapter 8. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought you into adoption. He brought about your adoption to sonship. 
by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and then we are heirs, and we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory, and the exact opposite is also true. He shared in your sufferings as an orphan that you might be able to share in his glory, being a co-heir with Christ. He became a spiritual orphan, as you are, so you could be adopted as God's child. But he, even before that, became an earthly orphan that he might identify with you completely and totally as one who was separated from his earthly and his heavenly father. Galatians is even clearer. But when the time, was, the time set had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit calls out Abba, Father, so that you're no longer slaves but God's child. And since you're God's child, he also made you an heir and that makes you a co-heir with Christ. When the whole story is seen, we can see not only the heart of God in Isaiah for the spiritual fatherless, but how our God used the tragedy of our own sinfulness, rendering us spiritually fatherless, and then as a result many times on this earth, humanly fatherless, to bring about the resolution of that problem through the very problem itself. God became an orphan in order to purchase for us the fatherhood that he always intended for us to have. How connected are we? How connected should we be? The answer to that question is the orphan solution, not just solving the social problem. I mean that God solved the spiritual problem of our being fatherless through the earthly problem of the orphan. God became an orphan in Jesus Christ. An earthly orphan to identify with us fully, spiritually and physically. And then a spiritual orphan on the cross as his father had to separate himself from him that he might pay for our sin and rebellion that had separated us from the father. And in doing so, he gave us the opportunity to become children of God. That is called justice. Isn't he amazing? Isn't that mind-blowing? There's no way that you can even conceive of that Jesus Christ didn't identify with man in all of his lostness, including the horrible ravages of broken, a broken world and families that cause so many millions in this world to be raised without fathers and even mothers. He did this in order to purchase us the fatherhood that he always intended for us to have. This is why there's a mandate to care for the orphan. Because this is the heart of God and it's the root of the problem. It's our problem. He became an orphan, spiritually and earthly, to purchase us sonship. We're all connected to this issue. Why? Because we're all 
orphans. But now, thanks be to God, in all of his mercy and grace and provision, we all have the opportunity to become children of God. We do and we will care about the orphan because we are all orphans. God decided to share in our fatherless condition in order that we might find the perfect father adopted as children and co-heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. Watch this. We're all orphans. So that's why we care about orphans. And that's why we're actually going to engage in doing something about that as best we possibly can. Please take your bulletins and pull out this slip of paper right here, this insert that you find inside. This one right here. You'll also receive this in the mail. If you don't, you've received it right here, and there'll be a letter with it as well. And I want to do a few things with this. First of all, I want you to take it like this, and I want you to lift it up like that. And you'll see this part right here. And these are some of the statistics that I shared with you last year, uh, last week, regarding this particular issue of the orphan. I'd like to correct the mistake that I made. You go down to the bottom statistic, you'll see the number of orphans that actually exit the program and become adults. I had given you a figure of more like a quarter of a million. It's actually more like 24,000. I wanted to correct that. This is in the United States. It's a smaller mass number than I gave you last week. But the next statistic is still true. 80% of those who exit the program who have never been adopted as children within three years become homeless people in our society. Wow, huge issue. Great, you've tugged at my heart. What am I supposed to do about it? (laughs) Glad you asked. And even if you didn't, you should have. Okay, so let me offer you how we can respond to this. And that's what next week is all about. Now, if you look up at the screen, you'll see we've got a plan here. The first three weeks we've been telling you, teaching you, helping you understand the issue as it stands in the heart of God, the responsibility and our connection to this, reviewing the biblical mandate and why it exists, which we just did right now. And then next week, we're going to begin to talk about how we're going to address this. What are our actions? What's our responsibility? What on earth can we do? Those figures are enormous. How are we supposed to address this? Well, this, what you see on the screen right now shows you a framework that we're going to try and use in our little way to address this issue. There are three areas in which we think we can address it. The issue of prevention, helping children never to become orphans. And then there's safe homes. When I get to the point where you can't help it or it's already happened, how can we keep these children safe as best we can? And then emancipation. What about those 24,000 in this country or around the world who grow out of a technical status of orphan but have never had families, still don't have families, and what do we do in helping them insert into society? We want to try and address those three major issues locally and globally. That's what that's about. And when you come next week, you're going to begin to hear about, from people in our church on this Sunday that are already connected to this issue and are already addressing it. And their stories are powerful. And they fall into these categories. You're going to hear about how this church was significant in helping a child not become an orphan because of the prevention side of this issue. 
And then we're going to move through, and you're going to hear stories of how we can create safe homes and are creating safe homes through the powerful stories of people in this church. And then you're going to begin to see what we can even do in terms of the emancipation issue. Now, we want to fill all these blocks. We can't fill all, them, all of them immediately. But as we go through next week, you're going to start to see the boxes fill in the practical ways that we can start. We can begin. I've told you this is a journey. It's not a one and done. It's not just about next week. It's about a process that we'll continue to follow as we address this issue in the years to come because we believe that this is the heart of God. Now, uh, most practically, how, can we, how we get involved in this process are uh, in what we're going to do next week physically as we act it out literally. Now, uh, we have an offering every week, as you know, and we pass the plates, and um, we're grateful for your giving and for our financial status as a church right now, which is solid, and we're grateful for that, and we're, we invest in our ministries here because part of the answer to this issue is the ministries that we have in this church. You're even going to hear about that and how our ministries are already helping people in this situation or preventing this situation from coming about. So we'll have a regular offering like we normally do, and we pass it around, and and um, we like quiet money that falls in those clanky things, you know, and you, know, you just keep doing that. That'll be great. Then, we have an offering at the end of the service which really stretches our comfort zones. Now, you already laugh when I told you you're going to come in here and somebody's going to have stolen your seat, so it's hard enough to come in this place, sit down, and, you know, find that somebody's, you know, and you have to go sit somewhere else or whatever. But we really stretch ourselves, and we actually process and walk up front and do something next week. So just prepare yourselves, pray all week fast, and you know, God will give you the power. Okay, You can do this. And there's ways that you can come prepared to do that. So the children have already received in our family worship service something that looks like this, full of candy. I guess you get to eat it because you empty it. Because then what you do is you fill it with quarters. And that quarter's going to end up being about $10. So some of these kids are already working on this, and you parents are having to, you know, Go make quarters or whatever. So that you can fill the thing because that's about 10 bucks and about 10 bucks is going to do part of what it is to create a safe home for children at a Rafiki village in Liberia. Heard about Liberia on the news lately? Yeah. Ebola means something to you? Yeah. Have you noticed that you don't have a place where you can give money to help with the Ebola crisis? You know, usually we have a, you know, some kind of tornado around the, I mean, uh, or, or some huge issue or hurricane or some devastation, some earthquake, and there's all kinds of places you can send money. We haven't been seeing that because that isn't, you know, what, what do we do? Some brave doctors have been going over to try and address the issue, but, well, guess what? We as a church, because we partner with this organization called Rafiki that has a village in Liberia, can help keep these children's home safe. In order to keep those children from not getting infected, they have fully quarantined everybody in that place, all 63 people that function in that facility, nobody in, nobody out. And the only way they can survive is by the food and supplies and everything else that they need being airlifted into that place. That's expensive. And we want to be a part of helping with that. If you take the folder in your hand again and you flip it open, you'll see a blue box that shows our goal and what we want to do. So the children are going to be coming up with these particular things. Then you have this particular envelope here, this brown envelope that you pray about and you consider and you put in there what God wants you to do. We're hoping to raise $45,000. One of those things you can see is the Liberia Ebola airlift. That's a part of helping keep these children 
in safe homes. See the grid? Globally, a safe home for those kids. There's also other things that you see listed on there. We want to create a fund that starts to help families in this church who would like to foster or adopt do so. God may lead some of us to do that. And if so, it's expensive. We can't pay for everything, but we might be able to help. And we want to start a fund that helps with that. There's also something here that you see called the Rafiki School Grant. These children that are part of this uh, orphanage, Rafiki, once they get to an age now, we're over to the emancipation side, they've started something called a rice school which prepares these kids with a trade that they can have going into the society so they can have a job so that they can continue to remain solvent and capable and able to sustain themselves. Well, one of those trades is becoming a teacher. $10,000 takes one of these new graduates from the Rafiki village, trains them as a teacher, and then helps them go to a village and start that very school with the same education that they've had in that village, multiplying the educational process in those children to help those children never become orphans. And the process comes around. We've helped a, per, helped, helped a person emancipate, have a skill and an ability to start a school which educates children, which gives them what they need so that they don't end up in the dire straits that the previous ones have. You say, wow, expensive, a lot of stuff, not sure I can do all that or help me with something that's even more tangible. Well, there's also going to be an opportunity for you when you come up and process up here to the front, drop off your envelope and what God has given you to give and your children come up and put that in there. Then you could pick up something that's going to look like this. It's a packet that gives you an opportunity to sponsor a child. Now, you can do this with any, any number of organizations. It's a personal decision, and you can. You can do it with Compassion. You can do it with Samaritan's Purse. We'll only have packets for Rafiki because we partner with them. But if, if you want to do that, here's a great way you can. And that's why we want to know also, as I mentioned before, about all the, um, uh, the ones that are already sponsored. You'll see a really cool thing we're going to do with that. If you already sponsor a child, please contact Scott Millard or the office about that, and uh, you're going to see a cool thing about that. But if you don't, or maybe you'd like to take on some more, like we did, you can grab a packet and do that. These are our kids, by the way, the, um, that our family sponsors. And then there's one more way that you can get involved. Because in, in, uh, in the bulletin next week will be this. It's blank on the one side right now, but it'll be filled in. M- many of you are going to say, I can't foster, I can't adopt. I mean, I could, you know, sponsor some kids, but what about locally? I don't know what I could do here. I mean, I can give some money. We got some practical ways that people who are not a part of actual fostering and adopting can engage with those who are. There's some real complex issues with, cho- with families that foster children that have to go different places. They can't always take the children with them. They need people they can look to. There are a network to help them in those situations. You could become like a surrogate grandparent or uncle, aunt, to help these families in their journey of doing this. As a body, there are many ways that we can get engaged. And there'll even be a way for you to take this card and say, all right, I don't know what all that's about, but help me and I'll, and, and I'll see if I can't engage in that way. You see, there's all kinds of ways that we can engage and we'll be trying to fill this grid so that we can effectively, like God wants us to do, address this issue. So be in prayer this week. You're going to get a letter. You're going to get that 
insert, read it, read it carefully. Things I probably missed that are in there. Pray about how you're going to respond and get ready not only to give to the regular offering, but to also this offering at the end as we come forward and we uh, give of ourselves, not only financially, but tangibly in engaging in this issue and making a difference. Okay, I usually pray, but I'm going to pray at another point. So I'm done with all that. Are you with me? You ready? You're going to come next, next week all excited about preparing? Make sure you get here earlier. You'll lose your seat because the previous service is always on time and this service is always late. Now, <laughs> I'd like to ask Tim and Gerda Prairie to come and join me and all of the elders that are present here as well. Would you come up and join me up on the stage? And uh, we would like to... I uh, pray for these guys, as he mentioned uh, earlier. This is their last Sunday. Tim actually gets in a truck tomorrow morning and starts driving all by himself. Um, I'm really glad to hear that you're not hitchhiking across America to uh, <laughs> California. Um, and you're going on a plane, Gerda, aren't you, with Colson and Joya? I'm glad to hear that, too. Um, it's just a little disturbing to think of you doing it any other way. Oh, all right. That's, that's a good thing. Um, this is for you guys, um, and uh, so check your email because something's going to show up in there. We didn't want to give you something that you just lose on the way, so you'll see, and uh, I think you could really use that. Um, you'll see what that is. And then this is a gift from us, uh, already a number of uh, pinky fingers that have been put on there, um, but this is going to be available out there as well when we go back out, and right now they've prepared a reception out there, so some refreshments and stuff, and uh, these guys, after we pray for them, are going to go out there. Um, and you can take a stamp and a little pinky finger and put a, you know, thing on there and uh, just bless them in that way. Um, so, love you guys. And uh, now we want to pray and ask God to bless their future ministry. It's really exciting to see what He's called them into. Um, and uh, so I'd like to ask a couple of our elders to do that right now, um, and then we will uh, we'll let you guys go as we sing, and then we're going to join you guys out there. So, Steve, would you pray, and maybe Peter? Lord, thanks so much for, for the Prairie family, for Tim and Gerda, uh, for what they mean to us, and uh, for how they've given of themselves in this, these last few years here at this church. Thank you for the blessing that they've been to us, Lord, for Tim's um, just pouring out his heart in worship week in and week out, leading us in worship, Lord, before your throne. Thank you for how you've gifted him. And, uh, Lord, we, um, we love them and, and we thank you for them. And we pray for their journey now out to California, um, for safety for their family, Lord, for your guidance. For them and their kids, that they would just mesh well at this camp, and they'd be able to use their gifts, Lord, what you bestowed upon them, to bless others at that camp in the years ahead. Thank you for that. Heavenly Father, I too thank you for the prairies, Lord, the blessings they have been for this church, Lord. We love them, and we pray that they will continue with their work for you, Lord, that you would guide them and bless them. And take care of them, Lord. And uh, wherever they will be doing for you, Lord, 
we know it will be great. Lord, uh, we just uh, pray that you would give them travel mercies, Lord, and uh, always keep them, Lord. Thank you, Lord Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim's parents are also here. I'd ask you guys to stand now and to uh, head out into the foyer, and you guys do that as well. We're going to close with a worship song, and then uh, please come and greet them and bless them, if you would.